to Tahira Ramatula, co-founder and CEO of Commons and partner at Highland Venture Partner. She talks about her journey into the cannabis industry and how as a brown woman and child of Pakistani immigrants, she kind of came upon getting into the cannabis industry as well as investing and how important it is to have social equity as, as well as giving opportunities to people to become entrepreneurs in the industry. So this is an awesome interview about how strong women can come up and create new opportunities in cannabis. Join us for this conversation in the green room now. Hi, we are here in the green room with Tahira Ramatula. She's a co-founder and CEO of not of, of commons <laughs> and partner in Highlands Venture Partners. Yes. So um, thank you for joining me here. Thanks for having me. No, I'm excited to hear uh, a little bit about your panel that you talked on Tuesday yeah. um, in the finance forum and, and a little bit more about what you guys are doing in the cannabis space. But um, first, I, I kind of trying to gauge everyone's uh, thoughts on MJ BizCon this year and what they expected and what they saw. Sure. So I've been coming to MJ BizCon for quite some time, um, and it's always interesting to see the evolution comparing to early days when there were like, you know, a couple hundred of us at the Rio. Right. Um, the Rio. Yeah, which feels like ages ago and just like very different experience, um, you know, and now to see the, the scale of it, I think 2019 was massive. It feels about the same as that. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, really um, for me, it was an opportunity to just see people that I haven't seen in a very long time. So there's an opportunity for reconnection. Um, and I think also just seeing some of the new businesses and, and areas of like depth that are emerging um, as, as an investor, you look across the entire space. Yeah. As somebody with a brand, I'm always looking for new uh, ingredients, manufacturing partners, uh, collaborations. And so really, it's like it's a great place to be able to see all of that. Yeah. Um, being, you know, the, obviously there's MJ Biz, there's MJ Unpacked, and then you're just running up and down the strip trying to get <laughs> to from meetings. one suite yeah. to another to have conversations, but uh, it's always worthwhile. Yeah. yeah. No, good. Um, is there anything that you saw that you didn't anticipate? Um, you know, not really, only okay. because I have been coming, but I will say that I I feel like just this is like COVID brain where I, I don't pay attention to other conferences or things that are happening. So not realizing that it was EDC weekend coming up. And I was like, why is it so chaotic? And you realize that that's happening. I was like, I really should have looked at a calendar or something. But yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like it's been kind of the the building that's happened year over year. The anticipation of it. So um, that that always kind of, I feel like, comes to full fruition. And it's never... It's never underwhelming, I'll say that. Yeah, no, that's that's good. So tell us a little bit about um, the the panel that you talked on um, Tuesday at the Finance Forum, talking about mergers and acquisitions. Yeah. Um, and obviously, that's something that we are seeing a lot of right now, yeah. and I'm sure we'll continue to see. Um, what what did you guys kind of uncover? Yeah, it was an interesting mix of people. So we had one woman who's the founder and CEO of Gabby, who a chain of dispensaries in Southern California. We had the head of corporate development from the parent company. We had, um, you know, middle markets capital advisor from Chicago, and then myself, you know, kind of sits in brand on investing and advising. And so it was an interesting mix because there are a lot of different lenses, but we all coalesced around the same thing. Like, you know, the the major takeaways are, are not surprising. Are like. M&A is here. Um, it is like what areas are going to be focused on is probably like, you know, there's a lot of consolidation happening within vertically integrated businesses, yeah. you know, trying to capture as much in each level of the supply chain. Um, you know, the moderator pointed out a couple of the the transactions that have been announced just since August. And yeah. they're massive. You know, like I think the most recent one is the Wanna Brands uh, acquisition by Canopy, which right. is like very, very substantial. Um, also kind of a quirky structure yeah. when you think about the, it's the option to buy, but with $297 million in cash today. Right. Um, we've seen some other, you know, we're seeing a lot of the Canadian businesses now trying to get their toeholds in the U.S. And so it was a lot of discussion around like, where do we see that going? We've seen this trend mm-hmm. every call it 18 to 24 months in cannabis for the last couple of years. You know, there's like stocks right now are crashing. Right. If you're you're a long-term believer in cannabis, it's like you just have to not look at the numbers. <laughs> just ride it out you a just little have bit. to ride it out. Like buy more, don't sell, um, you know, pick the names or the ETFs that you like and, and just keep going. But you can't 
worry about it day to day. And then you're seeing, but on the other side of it, you're seeing MNA skyrocketing. And it's because, you know, it's all about sentiment as well on what's going to happen with federal legalization. Like, there are some people who are very bullish and think that it'll be one to two years. I'm probably in the more cautious camp that three to five, three to five, <laughs> but starting with capital markets, you know, we'll have some kind of a safe act, some kind of a more act, just combination of those yeah. that do allow for banking, um, that do a lot, allow for like some degree of cross state transaction that really around safety and, and thinking also about social equity mm-hmm. and what are we doing about expungement and, um, allowing for more resources for black and brown people to participate in the space. And that's really happening at a state level. They might just leave it there. You know, it's, it's yeah. hard to say right now. I think that there are just shifting priorities when you look at what's happening in the administration. And so uh, I tend to think it's a bit longer. I have been proven wrong once or twice before, <laughs> but I, I think that this one, you know, but think, I'm probably right. But I'm probably <laughs> right. Uh, and I think that it's just in preparation for that, because yeah. once that happens, once there is, a clear line of sight for federal legalization, then all of the current big cannabis operators, which are multi-billion dollar companies, but they're trading on lower, you know, they're mostly trading on the CSE. But then you're competing with major CPG, big alcohol, big tobacco, like groups that have massive war chests that can do transactions that are not within the realm of capability today. And we've seen a couple of those, you know, Constellation invested like $4 billion in Canopy. Um, You're seeing some of those businesses start to take their toehold in these other operators. Mm -hmm. And then in turn, those operators, which are predominantly Canadian, are are then coming to the US. Uh, Also looking at global footprint, but US is really what every operator is thinking about. This is probably going to be, it already is the biggest market. It's probably the most interesting. Um, and Canada's kind of losing steam. And so yeah. they have all these, all this money and they can't really deploy it within their own country because that market isn't going to grow at the scale that it will in the U.S. So, right. you know, lots of discussion around that. I was like, you know, what's the right vertical? I don't think there is a right one. I do think I'll always have been a big believer in the power of the brand and brands are hard. They take a very long time to cultivate. Yeah. Um, I am one of those people that other people probably get angry at because I don't believe that like the best brands, like the top 10 brands 10 years from now exist today. Some of them do in some form, but I think that brand loyalty is really hard in such a fragmented market. And now as a New Yorker in the East Coast coming online, I'm like, you know, what's relevant on the West Coast may not be. Sure, there will be some. Oh, that translate. East Coast, West East Coast, Coast rival. You know, East Coast. I had to moderate a panel last week at Trailblazers uh, that was all about West Coast. <laughs> and so I had four West Coast operated California, all California, actually. Yeah. And I was like, it's funny that they put a New Yorker sitting here, like yeah. East Coaster, who is like, all right, guys. Do you really think that you're that special? Yeah. They're like, <laughs> yes, yes, we yes, do. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. No, but I will say, like, California is an incredible market. There's so much to learn from that, good and bad. Yeah. And, and thinking about how has the market evolved? I mean, the the illegal market in California is booming. Yeah. It is even even maybe more so than before legalization, mm-hmm. because of the way that regulation has been structured and taxes. It's kind of pushing people back into that. Right. You know? So there are lessons to be learned on like how do we do this better with like with also a sense of false confidence at the yeah. same time. Yeah. 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 Exactly. I mean, I think that there there were a lot of things, and California was early when you think of their social equity program, legal adult use legalization. Um, and it's hard being early, you mm-hmm. know, and so you hope that the East Coast will learn from that. We've already seen flaws happening <laughs> in different markets. There was great hope for Illinois right. for their social equity programs, and we're seeing a lot of challenges there. You know, nothing has really come to fruition. New York has stalled and stalled largely because of the desire for social equity. And then obviously we Cuomo was pushed out. Hochul came in. She moved everything very quickly. Uh, but what we're seeing are some of the the flaws that maybe came from other markets and that there aren't any cannabis operators who are sitting on those committees and on those teams. Sure. And, and that's challenging because now we actually do have the benefit of people who have operated in the space who might have a very important perspective to bring and how does the rollout happen? What if you do this regulation, what actually happens in mm-hmm. playing out? Like intentions are always good, right? but things go sideways as we all know. Right. And I think that that 
So we're all we're keeping a very close eye on that and, and wondering what's going to happen. But I think that, you know, at the end of the day, California is the biggest and very important market. But yeah. I'm excited for East Coast. I, I saw like best on her lips a little bit. <laughs> biggest and best. Uh, I thought I think that's what she was going to biggest? say. Biggest? Yeah. Oh, how dare I say best? <laughs> I might get kicked out of New York for something. Yeah. <laughs> Would you have an opinion like coming from New York, like seeing like how like Colorado um, and how they did their medical and um and recreational side and how they split the two of those uh, as opposed to California where all uh, being medical is anymore is just getting an extra 5%, you know, off, off your <laughs> yeah. bill. You know, I, I wonder if you have an, an, an opinion on that as it rolls out. Well, I know. think markets that have more of a true medical where they're substantially, the, the dosing is very different. Mm-hmm. Um, what is available is also different. The pricing is quite different because we're not going to be an insurance covered structure for a very long time. And for a lot of people, cannabis is medicine. Mm -hmm. And so when you go into these heavily taxed adult use markets, it's just not feasible for people to be able to use it on a daily basis, you know, multiple times a day. Yeah. Um, And so I think that markets that have been able to really strike that balance um, are very impactful. And Colorado has gone through multiple iterations. They they were early. um, But there is that that value and that structure there. And I think, yeah, to your point about California, there isn't that big of a difference anymore. I mean, the medical market was essentially adult use. Yeah. For a long time. I had my California medical <laughs> yeah. card as a non-California resident. And I was like, oh, and actually when I got my medical card, and this is quite some time ago, I was actually sitting in Canada to do my Zoom interview <laughs> or whatever it was at the time, yeah. maybe it was Zoom, maybe it was an early adopter, but to do that virtual interview with a physician sitting in California, and I guess this was 2015. Yeah, um, right. And I was like, I don't even have to be in the state. And then, you know, <laughs> sent my medical card to a friend in California. I'm like, hey, when this comes in, send it to me. Yeah. And then that's what I used every time I was there. I mean, I still don't have a New York medical card. Right. I've lived there for ages. Um, <laughs> but that's also, it's a very different medical market. Yes. It's, it was yes. highly restrictive. You really had to have uh, specific ailments. And those have loosened more where it allows for like chronic pain, um, which is, I think, very important. Mm-hmm. And as someone, I, I suffer from chronic pain. And so to not have that on a, on a list, um, you know, New York really went pretty extreme and now has started to become a little bit more friendly and for the medical, but we'll see what happens, you know, with, uh, with adult use and will there be more of a separation? Do they kind of come close together? I think States have had a a little bit of a challenge balancing. What does that look like? And, uh, taxes speak for themselves and that's what (laughs) States want. And so for, for some, I think they go through the assessment of, does it matter Mm -hmm. if we, if we're going to do adult use, do we just have it all yeah, one? It's just all, everyone gets to use it. Yeah, but then it, that it's good revenue for the state, but then again goes back into, well, if people who are really using this for medical and not for recreational use, yeah. then it's just inaccessible. Yeah, um, You have to be pretty wealthy to be able to It's pretty it. expensive. The taxes are, yeah. And that's why then the illegal market yeah. thrives because... Yeah that's how you're able to compete or be able to have more access on a regular basis because they they can move their prices around all they want. Yeah, yeah. Who's Whatever they feel yeah. like doing, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, that actually brings me to uh, kind of my intro question usually is the journey. Like, how did you get into the cannabis industry? And yeah. you mentioned chronic pain. So, um, you know, what what got you into cannabis and then what, what, what made you want to work in it? Yeah, so I actually, my, my, my chronic pain oddly developed once I was in the industry. Okay. Um, but, <laughs> like, so, mm, I'm, I'm yeah, hurting. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, so my background pre-cannabis is more traditional finance. I worked at Ernst Young and I was at a hedge fund and did a one-year fellowship at a nonprofit and was really trying to find how do I bring more mission-oriented work with private sector? And this is a little bit before impact investing funds and ESG were really a focus on the investment side. So I went to business school and while I was in business school, my second year, uh, my grandfather was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. And so it was my mother's father. Um, My family is from Pakistan. I grew up in small town, Ohio. And my grandfather was with my parents at the time of his diagnosis. And so my mother became his caretaker. And as happens with so many people, when you're going through that is that you're you're looking for every alternative that is out there um 
And she kept coming across cannabis in her late night Google searches. And one day <laughs> she texted me and my younger sister. And all she said was, do you know where to get marijuana? <laughs> to which my little sister immediately called me and she was like, do you think this is a test? Yeah. And I was like, maybe let's find out what's going on. <laughs> and so they're like, don't answer yet. Yeah, she was like, uh, <laughs> um, and it just struck me at that time that my mother and my parents are devout Muslims. They never looked at any right. of this, any of these types of products, even though Pakistan is a country that cannabis grows freely, but yeah. it's just not utilized <laughs> that way. But my parents are very big believers in my family in general in homeopathic medicine. Eastern medicine. Exactly. Yeah, um, my father is a physician, so there's also a belief in okay. Western medicine, but we've always had, you know, before any over the counter or something was given, it was always some kind of homeopathic yeah. concoction, you know, so that, that was very much a part of our lives, but certainly not cannabis. It was a part of my life in that I was, you know, a high schooler growing up in small town, Ohio, and nobody had anything to do. And yeah. So you would consume cannabis, you know, or everybody you knew was growing it in their basement. Yeah. Um, and so I, it really hadn't been, I hadn't consumed cannabis in a long time at that point. Uh, but I knew where to get it in my hometown. And, you know, I told my mom, I said, look, I know where to get it. You're not going there. They're right. not coming to you. <laughs> and all I knew how to get was flour. And my grandfather had lung cancer. And so even if that was an option for somebody who is going through chemotherapy, has a compromised immune system, I was, I said, you know, I don't know what's on it. I don't know what's in it. Yeah. Certainly can't give it to him. And she just, she was desperate to find something that would find, provide some relief. And we weren't able to get him anything um, before he passed away that would be helpful, but it just really started this conversation this conversation for all of us and i think for me just research mode and one i started learning a lot more about what was happening in california and canada and israel around research uh, and and how it was truly used as medicine you know when you think of the aids epidemic and how heavily cannabis was utilized during that period um and then also the other side of it on on the social justice side really yeah. understanding the war on drugs and how did that come to be? What did it actually mean? And I'm a child of the eighties. And I was like, did Nancy Reagan lie to me? Like I was a just say no kid. You know? and <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. And then I was like, but this was all made up. This was made yeah. up to target certain communities. And so I was fired up, didn't really know what to do about it. I didn't know that there were actually legal You're like, jobs. I'm getting hot for yeah. some reason. Yeah. But I'm like, <laughs> what do I do? Um, but I didn't know that there were legal jobs. I didn't really understand. This is late 2013 going into 2014. And so there wasn't, that much discussion even around what was happening in Colorado and Washington. Right. Um, and then the day after my grandfather passed away, I was sitting at my parents' house in Ohio and I got a random text message from a former classmate of mine. He was a year ahead of me uh, at Yale and he had graduated without a job and joined a startup that was started by alumni of our program that was the, the first cannabis firm focused on our investment firm focused on cannabis and randomly random. And so he just <laughs> randomly texted me. He didn't, we hadn't talked in months, so uh -huh. he didn't know that I had been looking at it. I had forgotten what he was doing because it was yeah. small and niche. And I was like, well, that's funny and weird. Yeah. Um, and all he said, the first text was, Hey, do you have a job? And when you're sitting in February of your second year of business school, you're generally in freak out mode because yeah. you're graduating. You need May. to have a job. You need to have a job. And I was like, ooh, sore subject. Um, <laughs> and he said, all he said was, how do you feel about Seattle and marijuana? And I'd forgotten what he was doing. And I was like, oh, that's right. That's that's what Sam is doing. And it was kind of like the perfect storm. You know, I turned to my parents and I said, uh, what do you guys think about Seattle and marijuana? Fully thinking that they would be like, absolutely not. Are you ridiculous? Right. But we just gone through this experience and they were very open-minded about it and, and did view it as medicine. Wow. Um, so I was like, this could be the shortest job I ever have. Let's see if yeah, what happens. you can always get out of it. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. I'm like, or am I just taking this fancy business degree that I've just gotten and immediately lighting it on fire? But oh, yeah. I don't know. Um, and so I moved to Seattle, joined this company, and 
seven years later, here we are. Yeah, so, so this is Highland Venture part, Ventures. Uh, so no, actually, it's so the first company I worked for. I've, I've worked in a lot of places. Okay, okay, okay. So it was uh, Privateer Holdings, okay. which was also the company that started Tilray. Okay. Um, a comp- and then within that, so I had the opportunity to work on the investment side and then also was put in a position to be an operator. So I started a brand called Marley Natural, which was a partnership with Bob Marley's family estate and Privateer yeah, Holdings. Yeah, absolutely. So um, had the opportunity to work on that for a couple of years, take that to market. And that was at a time when brands were new yeah. in cannabis. I mean, I remember having debates with bud tenders in California, because that was the market we launched in, that prepackaged cannabis was the future mm-hmm. of cannabis. And they were like, no way. no way. No way. Nobody's going to buy cannabis like this. And I'm like... No, no, they they will. Bob they Marley's should. name is on yeah. it. <laughs> it's like it should come sealed and yeah, you know, yeah, and just like safe packaging. And they're like, no, there's because at that time it was still jars of bud. There jars, wasn't, yeah. There wasn't that much on the edible side. I mean, and what was available really was made in someone's kitchen, right? Um, so just seeing that evolution has been really fascinating. And then since then, I've done a combination of consulting, helping other brands get to market. Then yeah. I moved into uh, more of the investment side and, and venture. Um, I did a SPAC, actually the, f- the first U.S. listed SPAC Very in cannabis cool. uh, in 2018 at a time when it's crazy. nobody knew what the hell a SPAC was. Yeah, I mean, myself. I barely, I know, very, I know a little bit about a SPAC, but I don't know even... But you've yeah, seen it. You've I've seen, seen it. it right? There are headlines yeah. everywhere. I mean, this was a time we IPO'd at the end of January 2018 and our roadshows, you know, we're talking to very sophisticated investors and there is, there's a distinct group that is called the SPAC mafia who they, they trade SPACs. They really understand them, but broader investment community didn't really participate in SPACs, didn't really understand them. And so we got smart on it. And even I had the, the debate internally. I'm like, is this a Ponzi scheme? I don't right. know. Like, I just like the, cause the structure was new to me. It's as weird. Well. It's like strange if you hear about it the first time. Exactly. And the more someone explains it to me, I'm like, okay. Yeah. I think it makes, I get it. it makes sense. And it makes sense. It made a lot of sense for the cannabis market. So we did a NASDAQ listed one. We took a business called MJ freeway public in 2019. It's now called a So tech play in the cannabis space. So Very also cool. a big believer in what are called ancillary businesses. So the yeah. ones that are powering and supporting the industry because the larger businesses that are outside of the industry don't support it yet. And they're starting to, but there's still that barrier because of the lack of legality. Yeah. Um, Until they can make money from it. Why? Yeah. Why do it? Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah, And then in, so commons and highlands are actually uh, within the last few years, you know, wanted to, wanted to focus on investing in, more venture opportunities, but also allowing for uh, so my partner Jacqueline Bennett at Highlands and I. We we really wanted to bring more women and minorities on cap tables, and you know we had been in the space for a while. We were finally at a point where we were able to get allocations into investments, even if they weren't massive dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be able to get, even if you can get you know a, a couple hundred thousand, and then be able to give that access to to people who maybe wouldn't have generally wouldn't have access themselves, but also maybe their check size is 5,000, 10,000, 15,000. I mean, it's a lot to manage for an investor group, but at the end of the day, if you can allow that person to participate in the industry and generate opportunity from themselves, like that's what we want to be able to do. And the stock market isn't for everybody. Yes, you can participate in that, but it's a very different type of value proposition than when you're able to invest in private companies. So that's where we have focused there. We've done seven investments, um, you know, ranging from 125,000 to a million. Um, And then on the common side, that really is something that I've been thinking about for a while, you know, I'd done brands in the space, had known that maybe someday I would start a brand. But as the brand started flooding the market, it really like they all kind of looked and felt the same to me. And, and there are really great ones out there. Don't get me wrong. But I think the trend has been much more similar populations, coastal, right. you know, of a certain value point or you know, lux- luxury price point. And what started to really come to mind for me was well who's talking to the rest of the country yeah who's talking to even people like my mom right or uh more diverse communities that maybe aren't just following the trends that are happening on the coast and with that even thinking about something like cbd so commons right now is cbd only will continue into other cannabinoids and eventually thc mm-hmm. but even with 
CBD, it's flooded the market. It is everywhere. Everywhere. My pa- I went home one day. We were recording, and that day, I had, like on the way home, I like stopped at my parents' house, and I just like went in there, and I was like, I looked at my dad's desk, and my dad's eighty. One, two, zero, something like that. Somewhere in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, 80 plus. Yeah. Uh, and I look at his desk and he has these CBD like vitamins or something. And I'm like, what is happening right Where now? Where did you get these Where, from? Like, I didn't, I actually didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I didn't say anything, but I was like thinking like, I wonder if they know what I'm doing. And I mean, not that they would say anything. They don't, they don't really care or know, but like. I wonder if they know what I'm doing. And then where did they get that CBD and what is he using it for? (laughs) All the questions. All the questions came up. And I was like so judgy about my dad having it. You know, like all the things that you might think that your parents have about you asking those questions to them. I was like, I was like, I was turning the parent. I was like, what's going on? Um, But it was just so, I was so curious about how they became so trendy like with the CBD. Yeah. And it is everywhere. A funny story about my mom. So obviously, been in cannabis since 2014. Yeah, I mean, in, she's, in your mom's an OG now. Well, <laughs> I thought yes and no. I, I got this call from her in 2018. And I like remember it very distinctly. She called and she said, "Hey, have you heard of CBD?" And okay. I was like, "Excuse me, mother." Yes. How dare you? How dare you? Exactly. <laughs> Excuse you. And she said, and I said, "Why?" And she goes, "Well, I've been taking the CBD." Um, <laughs> And and this kind of leads into why Commons just kind of felt like the right positioning. Yeah. So she calls me and tells me this, and I'm like asking her all these questions, like where'd you get it from? All and it why came, are you taking it? All it came stuff. from one of her best friends, who Indian woman around you know same age, kind of dealing with the same pain points. Okay. And our our family friend Auntie Gogi, yeah. she has a chain. Um, she has convenience stores. Okay. So she um, dealing with a lot of people were coming in daily for different items and people started asking about CBD. So she just did her own research. She found a wholesaler and started stocking it Great. and couldn't keep it on the shelves. Wow. And so she tried it herself. She found relief for her back pain uh, instead of taking multiple Advil a day. And she recommended it to my mom for her back pain. That's amazing. And you know, my mom was like, yeah, this is, this is actually helpful. She's like, why haven't you ever brought this to me? And I was like, well, I did not know that that was on the table, you yes. know, because even though my parents were supportive of me being in the space, they they weren't like, oh, we'll try all the products. Yeah, no, right? of like, course. They of weren't course. in that mindset. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so fast forward, you know, thinking about different opportunities and way to provide more access in the market, realized more that it, it wasn't as much about the products themselves. I, I think we've come very far. Yeah. Testing is better. Extraction methods are better. Like the, the products out there are good. There are still, it's still a very wide range. Like if you yeah. actually test products and you see, they say it's X amount of CBD, how much is actually in there? Sure. It's, it's still a question. And like, what other things are they testing for or that have been discovered? But it was a little bit less to me. It's like, that's not the issue. What is the issue is distribution and how that is happening because now you're finding it in every bodega cvs yeah sephora nordstrom can get it on amazon but you know there's a difference between cbd and hemp seed oil and people don't understand that either Mm -hmm. and so it's everywhere kind of flashy in your face but people still don't really understand it they don't know what it's very confusing and it is trial and error because we don't have all of the clinical tri- trials and the history that we have when it comes to over-the-counter pharmaceutical products. And so it is trial and error. And like, I've been in the space long enough that I've had enough trial and error. I've tried. And yeah, I've tried. <laughs> and I've erred multiple times. And I can tell you what not to do. But for for the average person, I think it's it's more challenging, right? You don't you get Advil, it says take two, mm-hmm. not within this time frame. all of that. We don't have that. And so what I realized in conjunction with um, somebody that I had been brainstorming ideas with, with a while, for a while at Thrive Capital, uh, that this direct sales model was very impactful. And, you know, I was someone, I, I didn't have a lot of exposure to direct sales. My, my sister had previously been involved with Beauty Counter and Stella and Dot. Okay. But in my mind, what 
came from a lot of those was what comes to a lot of people, and that's pyramid scheme. Yeah, you know? and, and annoying. And, yeah, like, no, oh. exactly. Like you're all of your old high school classmates yeah. hitting you up on Facebook, inviting right? inviting them over to your house for a party. Exactly. And you're like, what is and they're this? Like you have to buy all of this yeah. stuff, right? Like before you leave, you must buy things. Yeah. Here's a sample. And so, <laughs> so all you know, that was my impression too. Mm-hmm. And as we did more and more work on just understanding the value and there's a reason why it has been successful in a lot of areas. Yeah. There has been, there, there have been a lot of things that have been done wrong. Mm -hmm. There are predatory elements that were introduced into a lot of different structures. And so as the idea started to come together more and more, it's like, it felt like the right channel for, not just CBD, but cannabinoids more broadly. And right. I have to well, joke. that is like, it's a conversation, right? You have exactly. to, like you were just saying, like there's not enough information. Mm-hmm. So when you're talking to someone and we've talked to a few people who are like consultants as well. And like that, that is a huge part of right now in the industry is like, let's talk about the problems you're having and what may or may not happen if you take this or that or this. So that totally makes sense for that. The, you know, this industry that you're talking about, like it, like that whole Avon, exactly. Mary Kay, all those, that model, you do have to have a conversation with. Yeah. That. And, and it may not work for you the first time. You know, sure. somebody can talk to you and recommend something and you can try it a couple of times and it doesn't have the effect. And then you have somebody to go back to and say, okay, what did you do? How did you do it? Let me recommend this. And yeah. You keep iterating, but you do it with a partner, right? Um, a guide, a coach. You know, we we call them ambassadors, and that I think is really important. And we are seeing that the adoption when it comes into Western medicine, it's it's not happening fast enough, and mm. may not happen for a, a while. But what we are seeing is just more of the opportunity around health coaches and advocates and and the openness. I think for a lot of people to want to try things that are are natural. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is, it's a learning process and it's not going away anytime soon. And so be it CBD, other minor cannabinoids, eventually THC. I mean, I often joke, but I'm serious about it that like cannabis has always been a peer to peer transaction. Yeah. Everybody's always, you know, you got a guy Yeah, (laughs) and that's what we want to be. That's what comes is like your, your, you know, guy, your guy, your dealer, your your gal, um, (laughs) We want to be that that advocate that's helping you through the process and understanding. And if it's not for you, it's not for you. But we also we want to be able to build a community of people who are able to talk to each other and share use cases. And mm-hmm. so if we can collect that information and then share that back out for better uh, consumer experience, for having that. more effectiveness um, and, you know, the power of being able to aggregate that data and then also inform product development. You know, I can make all the assumptions I want all day long on like, what do I like and what yeah. format and what flavor, um, what dosing, but hearing from people who are actually taking it on you, a regular you basis. You can have a much more realistic view. Exactly. Yeah. And and that's really, we want, we want to take that information and, and have it inform every bit of our process. And uh, I know in direct to consumer businesses, you are aggregating data, but there's no real follow-up from there. You know, there's right. kind of no talking back to the company. And what we want is everybody talking back to us yeah. so we can actually create a better ecosystem for them. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think beyond cannabinoids, uh, other natural wellness products, you know, we think of the evolution of what's happening in psilocybin, you know, just functional health. Um, mm-hmm. There, There's a lot of opportunity there. But at the end of the day, a lot of it is just trial and error and trying to understand, you know, even something like meditation. Yeah. There's a reason why things like Headspace and Calm, it's because there's a guide. Yeah, you know, exactly. There's, there's a plan for you put even in place. Even if it's for five minutes. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah. And that makes a difference for it a does. lot of people. It and does. I think that that's, this is right now where physical product eventually will go into um, probably collaborations and partnerships with other types of services and and try to create more of a platform but obviously we're we're early um but that's kind of the the direction we want to go we think that there's this great opportunity for people to take health into their own hands Mm -hmm. and and figure it out together and having people to talk to i mean the reason why i think retail and maybe even direct to consumer are are not right for this or not as effective all the time is because you don't who are you talking to if you have something more vulnerable. Like yeah. you're having sleep issues. You have this pain. Are you talking to somebody behind the counter at, you know, the vitamin shop? Right. Are you going to see them ever again? Yeah. You know, if it doesn't work, are you going to come back and 
ask a different Keep consulting. Person. Right. And so it's a relationship too. Yeah, and there's yeah. there's so much value in that. And you know, this this idea had come together pre-COVID. My co-founder Pat and I kind of came together at the end of 2019 and going into 2020, really saying, okay, we're gonna we're gonna do this. Uh, and then COVID hit. And so many people ask, like, okay, do you think this is the right time? I'm like, yes, this, this, this is the best time, the best actually. Time, the best time. For yeah. every, everybody needs something for health, yeah. mental health, you know, physical health. And then beyond that, the opportunity to diversify income. I yeah. think we are seeing so much more of that and the fragility of all of our jobs right? You know, yeah. and what could happen from there. Uh, and people want to have that opportunity. And I and, want to be an ambassador now. Well, yeah, I they, think I, yeah. Great. Did I just I did, get a sign up? Yeah. I didn't know about commons before this. Well, so this is great. Well, I will be following. Up <laughs> okay. <with you. laughs> um, yeah. And you know, I think that there is also, we shouldn't be afraid to talk about financial opportunity. I mean, yeah. our goal is to get more people to be able to benefit from cannabis and CBD because right now the trend in the industry is like every other one where there are wealthy white men that are running everything. Mm -hmm. And in this industry in particular, the black and brown people who this industry has been built on are, don't have the opportunity. You need a lot of money. You need just like a lot of resources that are not feasible except for like smaller groups of people. Yeah. And there are still so many people sitting in jail yeah. for crimes yeah. that are now legal. Yeah. You know? And, and that process is running very slowly. Yeah. I, I'm on the board of an organization called the last prisoner project, which is all about trying to get those people out of prison for low level, nonviolent cannabis. Crimes we actually, that, yeah, we actually had Steve on our podcast. Yeah, he's yeah, of course. Amazing. Yeah. And, yeah, so and cool. then um, you know, that, that those, but it takes, a village yeah. in getting all of these policies and, and just draconian drug laws and just the way that business often develops. Like you have to be able to right the wrongs in a lot of different places. And for us, commons is a way to also give people the tools to become smaller entrepreneurs and then learn. Like yeah. I would love people love to just come in, you know, it's, we don't want to make it cost prohibitive. It's just, but if you want to learn and you want to you know, you have that desire. Yeah. yeah. And and it's never meant to be like, you have to buy $5,000 worth of product and put it in your garage and we'll take the revenue and then see you later. Um, nobody has to carry inventory. We manage all of that. We have different level price points for people to... Well, the technology has come so far that it, yeah. it is more sophisticated. You can yeah. you don't have to do that anymore. Exactly. I will say though, like direct to consumer, as annoying as traditionally it might have been, I mean, it like my mom, my my parents moved here from India, and my dad was in school when they first they, he went to Auburn University in Alabama, and my mom moved here. I think I think it was like a year or something after he came, but that was one of her first jobs. It oh, was yeah. her first job to have an opportunity to make some kind of income as a person who did not go to school in this country or do any of those things, she was an Avon rep. And so like, I think that direct to consumer has like a special place where like it does offer entrepreneurship or income potential. I don't think she made, you know, entrepreneur, like startup money or something with it. But like, I I do think it kind of helped out with the bills. Like these are people coming new to the country. Uh, It gave them opportunities. They probably didn't, um, have because my dad was going to school yeah so it's just it's um this is really like i really love it because i mean obviously i'm a business owner and entrepreneur but like everyone doesn't have the confidence to maybe like jump into that pool right away and this is a great way to kind of have that little toe dip your toe see how you like it kind of see how it works yeah and then go from there right yeah and we really want our ambassadors to be people who also consume the product who find benefit from it because personal stories are the most impactful. Why people wanted to work with commons is because of our personal stories and and why we're here. And it is, it's coming from a place of passion and like we care about it. I've seen the impact that CBD has on people and that cannabis has had on people in the most positive way. And I am a believer and I want other people to have that access and that opportunity. And so to then, you know, come in and provide the opportunity also to, try the product, see if, if it works for you and then go be the advocate, you know? And and we say this all the time that 
all of us take recommendations from our friends and our family yeah. that for food, you know, restaurants, yeah. travel, everything. everything. So why, if somebody's providing something to you that you didn't know about, why shouldn't they benefit from it? Why right. shouldn't they get a commission on it? Otherwise, it's going to Google or Facebook yeah, or some somebody's other gonna somebody's, get it. somebody's taking a cut there. Yeah. So wouldn't you rather go into like your friend or your family or somebody you know who has offered, you know, brought this to your attention? Yeah. I mean, I would rather that going back into small business owners' pockets, right? right? And just, again, for some people, a couple hundred bucks extra a month makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. You know, it's your kids' pianos lessons. It's oh, yeah. extra time for you. It's a gym membership. All of that matters. And yeah. I don't think we should... Sure, they're, like everybody's not going to become a millionaire. <laughs> yeah, and, right. You know, we we very much have worked to ensure that it's it doesn't create this freeloader structure. And there's a lot that has to go into making sure that the compensation plan um, requires people to put effort in in yeah. order to get something out of it. And that by going out if you're really amazing at just recruiting people that you can't just sit there on your hands and right. collect from them. Um, and uh, that is a pyramid scheme. <laughs> that, that is the definition of a pyramid scheme. Um, and you know, we, it's, it's meant to be collaborative. People create teams, be mentors, yeah. and we're all going to be learning together. So we're in charge of taking all the information that's out there, distilling it down, offering it to people, one, in a really digestible way, but then as if they want to learn more and keep going deeper and deeper, that we can offer that. And just be in this kind of collaborative process where a community can develop and have a lot of dialogue around that. So for the Commons product line, I have like five questions I want to ask. Okay. So hopefully we can get through this, but for the Commons product lines, um, what what like kind of areas are you guys in? So we are in, so we have 12 products right now. We are in, we have uh, ingestibles, uh, sublingual and topicals. So uh, in the ingestibles, examples of that are like, we have gummies, we have soft gels. Um, For sublinguals, we have tinctures and we have a dissolvable strip. Ooh, like Listerine mint yeah, strips. Okay. Kind of like a different texture, yeah. um, but we, we recommend don't put it on your tongue, put it inside your cheek. It gets absorbed really quickly. That's a 50 milligram product. Um, you know, we are working with a great group that's out of Columbus, Ohio, that uh, have been medical device company, and they developed this food grade dissolvable polymer that okay. can hold a decent amount of CBD or other cannabinoids in it. And we just found that the impact of it is very strong, you know, quick onset. Um, So in that regard, we're also looking for innovation. What are other products and and form factors that we can offer? Um, And then on the topical side, we have a salve and a balm. And we'll keep expanding from there. So we're looking at um, products for feminine care. So when you think about um, menstrual cramps, menopause, cannabinoids and CBD in particular have shown to have a great impact there. So working with, um, researchers who are doing work on that side. And our goal really is to work with the best in every kind of distinct area. So as people are doing research in very specific areas, it's like, you don't need to provide 10 products to us. Like, but if you provide really one really good one and you know, the ins and outs of it, we want to work with, with those people. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, the goal is expanding from there. So we're looking at drink powders, different mixes. Um, in gummies and soft gels, we're looking at expanding those not only with uh, other types of natural ingredients, so turmeric, ginger, but also other minor cannabinoids, so CBN, CBG, to be more use case specific. So right. CBD can impact people in a pretty wide range. We wanted to offer what we call CBD only right now, so people could understand, well, What's your tolerance? Because a lot of people are new consumers. Right. For people who know, they they will know exactly what to go to. But for those who don't, it's figuring out what's the most impactful format for you because yeah. it's not all the same. Um, whether you, if you ingest it or take it sublingually, you could have a really different impact. Um, and then kind of taking that and adding more from there. Cause we also, we don't want to overwhelm people. Uh, With too the, many choices. You don't want to become too... cheesecake factory. Exactly. <laughs> Although I do love cheesecake yes, factory. Yes. Like, I'm like just a girl from Ohio. Yes. <laughs> give me, a, give me 40 different cheesecakes yeah. to choose from in the biggest menu ever. And I'm just a happy camper. Although yeah. it's very, it's overwhelming. It's right? so overwhelming. And you, yeah. then finally you just, the waitress comes to you and it's Especially, like, what do you want? And you're like, ah, that one. Especially <laughs> when you're hungry. You're like, I can't pay. Yeah. That top one. That's yeah, the one I'll exactly. take. Exactly. Um, yeah, and there are a lot of different areas. So we're we're focused on the use case and not you know, a lot of times it'll be like, okay, well, who is your demographic? Our demographic 
is really everybody because yeah. you could have somebody who is 25 to 30 dealing with physical pain that a 75, 80 year old is as well. So like mm. to say it should be like this age group and, you know, male or female, it's universal. And that's not to say that we're trying to be everything to everybody. Yeah. Just saying it applies. Found, it, it applies. It just, applies. Just, just like Advil applies. Right. Yeah. And we, we hope to be able to offer just a range, um, and even in our early days for our ambassadors so far, it's a range of, it's both male and female oh, okay. ages uh, because people have found relief with the product. Yeah. One of our more recent products that we've released is uh, a nighttime gummy that is CBD and melatonin. Oh, nice. And for someone like me, I if I take just melatonin, I feel very groggy the next day, but uh. the mix with CBD is, it's, has been a nice balance. So yeah, you sleep sleep well and don't feel kind of that melatonin hangover which is what i someone like me not everybody feels that way but um we've gotten great responses to that uh yeah just a a wide mix there and then for for physical pain like we have a lot of people who use it for the bomb that we have for recovery sports recovery yeah just after working out and sore muscles and so you know that can just apply to so many people yeah absolutely um okay so i'm trying to figure out which question i want to ask because there are two very different directions. Okay. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this one because we, we might be able to get back to the other one. But this we'll is, see. Uh, this is okay. more important. Um, so investment-wise. Yep. Um, I guess, you know, when it comes to investing in, you know, new businesses and, you know, social equity and like kind of trying to figure out how to re- properly represent people. I mean, you, got, you said you mentioned um, seven investments that you guys had made. How do you guys identify the kinds of investments you want to make? Like what are the kind of key factors that you look at um, when making those decisions? Yeah. So uh, Jacqueline and I have been engaged in a lot of different parts of the industry. So have a a pretty broad lens. You know, we want to, we look for innovation. We look for the intersection of consumer and technology and where those trends will be meeting with non-cannabis as well. Because at the end of the day, like, yes, it's all cannabis today, but when you think of the points of intersection, it's, it's pharmaceutical, it's CPG, it's, it's technology, um, it's compliance. Like there, there are just so many different touch points. So we're interested in that because then you can, from an investment standpoint, the, your TAM is so much bigger and maybe not today, but you can see where that potentially goes. And Mm -hmm. so that's, that, those areas are really interesting to us. We are big believers in brands and consumer products and the evolution of those products. Like we're drinking can right now. Beverage is, I think, going to be one of the leading categories in cannabis. Not maybe not today. You see it growing, but today compared to three years ago, it's night and day. Yeah, absolutely. I, I remember talking about a beverage investment several years ago. Um, with another group that I was working with and where everybody's like, it's way too small. Dispensaries didn't have coolers. You know, they just, right. they weren't set up for this type of distribution and it's still challenging today, but you can see where that's going. Yeah. And it's not just cannabis beverages. You're already seeing people shifting from tobacco and alcohol into healthier products. Options, yeah. And so those companies are going to want to have a footprint yeah and with like cannabis beverage well i mean like the first time i saw i didn't see a cannabis beverage but i saw a cbd beverage yeah and the first time i saw that was at a gym it was at barry's boot camp yeah okay and i like walked in there i was like holy shit like (laughs) this is crazy and this was like maybe two years ago um and i just happened i looked at the bottle i was like this is really cool and it had like amazing flavors and then uh, i looked at the back of it and it was owned by someone i knew and i was like oh my god that's funny yeah so like and then i contacted him and i was like this is awesome and then he was telling me about all the challenges that they were facing as as a company just doing CBD beverages, yeah. and that was like a couple years ago. So I, I now they're a little bit more obviously streamlined, and they they did get they did get uh, rated, and they did get their product taken, and and it's just kind of amazing, like that that it's come such a far way, or that even one that it's come a far way, but then also that that even happened over CBD. Yeah, <laughs> and crazy. I mean, you know, until the 2018 Farm Bill was passed, which was December 2018. CBD was illegal. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, deriving, That's true, you, couldn't, yeah. you couldn't derive it from cannabis and sell it openly in the market. Any CBD that was in the U.S. was from Canada or China. Right. And it was $25,000 a kilo, not $500 a kilo, which right. it is today. So you've seen that massive shift. And um, 
and the and the flood in the market. And to be honest, beverage a couple of years ago, most products didn't taste very good. Yeah. yeah. So the that shift as well, that the innovation and evolution has happened with how do you formulate better with cannabinoids, right. which is not easy. Yeah. There's a there's a flavor, some it can be Yeah, very, I mean you could taste the you yeah. can taste it in this. But, yeah. And it's also it's the development of the palate. Right. right. There hasn't been the opportunity. It takes a while for consumers to then develop that palate. And, oh, we yeah. talk about wine all the time. Like, yeah. you know, exactly. nobody, like the first time you had wine, did you really love it? Yeah. Probably not. But you're like, mm, this is great. Yeah. Like, I know it's very expensive. Yeah. So yeah. I should, like, I should it. like it. But uh, so, you know, this takes time. This takes years to develop. And, and so we're excited about brands. You know, we obviously have commons, but mm-hmm. then. There's a there are a lot of different things outside of that that we think are different verticals within just consumer products that are interesting. So we look at what are those innovative products that are continuing to happen. What are ones that we think are going to be powering the industry? You know, either in analytics or uh, other um, ingredient uh, right. innovation things along those lines. So it's it's broad in that sense, but at the same time, they all kind of intersect around how does it affect the day to day of the consumer. Do you think for investors in general right now, you were talking about the intersection of technology and cannabis, and there are a lot of companies that are um, doing ancillary products because they don't want to deal with the red tape of what cannabis brings and, or they just, they want to have a business now and they don't have to want to have to wait. Do you think investors are looking at that as like, oh, this is the safer bet? Or is it just that, you know, this is a... This is a sound decision at this time because of the way things are. Like, why would you be looking at that versus like a cannabis company? I think it's it's a mix. When you look at plant touching and going first, starting with cultivation, Mm -hmm. cultivation is agriculture at the end of the day. In in cannabis, it has been constrained and, and structured in certain ways where it perhaps has inflated value in that. But if you allow it to just operate it as agriculture. It's going to be all about volume. There's going to be continued price compression. You know, it's it's it, the supply chain will start separating a lot more. Um, and where is value most captured at the end of the day? So for ancillary investors, it, it I've seen a mix of things, and even you know, for my own evaluation of it, one there is the ability to understand a lot of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, cannabis is complicated, and to understand. Why would you invest in this cultivator in California versus Michigan, vertically integrated or not, retail versus distribution right. versus just cultivation, micro license, you know, MSO? It's a lot to, you can follow the headlines, but it can be pretty overwhelming, especially, yeah. I mean, particularly if you're not operating within the industry. So to understand the nuance of all of that, what does it mean to be in a limited license state versus not? You know, what is the impact of on that business? Right. So with ancillary businesses, I think for for people who maybe they understand tech, not not necessarily cannabis, but tech, they, they understand how to evaluate the, the business itself and how the the impact that it will have um, they understand insurance they understand you know data mm-hmm. and those businesses have the significant place in cannabis but then eventually will be able to translate into broader market when you think of Nielsen collecting mm-hmm. all this consumer data right. um, there's there's a lot of value in that so you can you can see the path I think a little bit more clearly for for a lot of investors and being able to understand the likeness and like where it's going to go right right and for a lot of people cannabis the plant touching side of it is just it's very complex um, and so they they want to go with what they know yeah, or what they that know that sense. they're able to fully diligence in a way that they understand I mean even Jacqueline and I we've we've looked at tech opportunities we're not tech people and we'll we know what we don't know. Yeah. And there's, there are certain things that we can like wrap our heads around, but we're like, you know, we've had to pass on opportunities where we think it's a good investment. We're probably going to kick ourselves for not doing it, but we <laughs> don't fully understand it. And we maybe can't get there in the timeline that they need. And so you kind of, you know, you kind of have to pick your bets at that point. Either you just decide to dive in or, or pass on it because we're not totally sure yeah. what, what this means. and Well, I mean, after all, it's an investment. You're never totally sure. You're never totally sure, but you <laughs> want to get to like a certain percentage of comfort. Yeah. Um, and if you can't get there, then you're know, probably hard time selling it to your investors. Uh, but then I think to your point earlier, there is a comfort for some on not being plant touching because they feel more protected. It's like a, a safer from any 
federal crackdown that potentially happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that makes sense too. It's like, you want to participate, but you don't, you're not ready to jump two feet in. Um, and there has been a lack of clarity on what's the direction, you know, you see some things happen in some States and not the other. And so I don't blame investors for wanting to just be cautious on, on where they play. Once somebody does one plant touching investment, then they're just kind of all in. Then yeah. They're like, okay. I can, like might as well. Yeah, just may as well. It. It's like, whether this or. Yeah. You know, whether no you're movies. like waist up in the pool yeah. or chest up, it doesn't you're, really you're matter. In it. Right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, um, but we've seen a lot of investors just stay on the ancillary side or they're you know waiting for federal legalization or, um, only wanting to work trade businesses that are on the U.S. exchanges, not necessarily Canadian, you know, for liquidity and just volume um, to just be able to understand those dynamics. Forgive me if I missed this earlier, but uh, it sounds to me like this is like almost like an opportunity. Like these people are, you know, uh, becoming like almost like bud tenders and they're they're, they're passing on this information. Right. And it's so cool, you know, that they're being educated. But um is is there a possibility that they'll eventually be able to do THC related products as well? Because like, I mean, I see like a football Sunday being like Bill, you know, the neighbor coming over and just being like, have you smelled this bud yet? Have you, you know, I've, I've been mowing the lawn all weekend with this. Like, I mean, how far away do you think we're from something like that in relationship? You know, Yeah, directions? that, that is our, our longer term goal there. Uh, it's, it's complex to be able to do right now because right. of one, it would have to be state by state. Um, and the license types don't actually allow for, you know, an individual mm-hmm. to be able to. So, so oh, we're right. working on. Well, not legally anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not legally. And, but we think there'll be an evolution in regulation as well. Um, and we're trying to figure out what does that look like? If, is it feasible in the next 12 to 18 months? Like what needs to happen? Um, the reality is that the state by state element also creates a challenge because then you'd have to set up uh, in it in every state have its own supply chain. So do manufacturing on a state-by-state basis. Mm -hmm. The benefit of CBD is that we're able to do it across the country. Mm -hmm. Manufacture in one location, ship everywhere. Um, That gets more complicated, obviously, in cannabis. But that is the longer-term goal. And, you know, kind of going back to, like, people should be this is a peer-to-peer transaction so at the end of the day uh, yeah. like that's you should have the ability oh, to yeah. do that and I will hopefully join that company, <laughs> I promise you. come on sign yeah. on now sign on now be with us you for get the, the benefits. Yeah, yeah exactly yeah. learn with us um and you know we kick around just different ideas on on where do you even start so maybe we we will start doing thc education um being able to allow people to just start learning and so they can they can build that into their own as an ambassador to build that into the dialogue that they're having with people. Um, and hopefully we can, you know, this is, we, we won't derive any income, but like direct them to the things in their home States, uh, what the regulation is, mm-hmm. what are the opportunities, where, what dispensaries are available? What are the product types? Uh, so we can kind of be the guide on that side and then hopefully get to the point where we also well you're building brand loyalty then yeah. too also. we're building trust, trust that's yeah. that's really at the end of the day is it's about trust and if you can get people to trust you then everything is possible because you want to be able to just keep sharing information and then they want to share it back with you and that's yeah. that's the power of what can eventually develop is that uh the sharing of information that we can kind of have back and forth um so it, you know we'll, we'll see what happens and how long that timeline takes uh Sometimes I'm like, maybe we just like do a little test here and yeah. see how that goes. And then I'm like, how legal you get, is that? You get, you get a little antsy, yeah. right? Well, I know individuals, like I know an individual specifically in Denver. He's a personality and it was a big radio personality, but he has the, he has legal direct. He can uh, deliver. He has a delivery well, so and he the, has yeah. that license. So yeah. And so what you could potentially do is in a location where delivery is allowed and you have a delivery license, you're able to manufacture your product then you could, in theory, buy through one of our ambassadors and we could deliver it. Um, right. It's it's hard to do at scale in that specific dynamic, but that's likely uh, an er- the, one of the first iterations that we would try to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, looking at, uh, we're keeping an eye on New York to see what happens with the various licenses and, and regulation timeline, but if you could do potentially a retail location and we think of like a smaller footprint, but just in case people want to come see, right, right. talk to someone, you know, and, and they would be ambassadors, hopefully, that are uh, working in that location. So you're 
local bud tender, um, and then would have delivery. And that's really how product would have to be distributed. So fingers crossed, we'll see where it goes, but I'll keep you posted. Yes, please yeah. do. <laughs> well, no, this is a perfect stopping point. And thank you so much for your time. We didn't get to my other question. Oh, no. But um, that just means we'll have to have you back. We'll so, next time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This was really awesome. And uh, I think a lot of information people like to hear, you know, how, how brands are developing. And then also, like, how does the money come, right? Yeah. It's like it's like a big question mark. It's always a question. How yeah. does the money come? How does the money come? <laughs> so thank you so much for joining yeah. me. And we'll see you guys next time. Thank you. The Green Room Podcast is brought to life by Green Seed PR a cannabis green tech-focused PR agency, and a dedicated production team of editors, mixers, and showbookers. A huge thank you to the Vessel team for providing their studio for our recordings. Don't forget to subscribe and share the Green Room podcast with friends, colleagues, and family. That way, you'll never miss an episode, and we can keep the lights on. If you're feeling extra generous, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. You can also find us on Instagram at greenseedpr, and see the live video versions of all of our podcasts on YouTube. Would you like to be on the guest on the show or do you have a great guest referral? Awesome. Submit your guests at greenseedpr.com slash the hyphen green hyphen room. Thanks for listening and be well.